Welcome to Vision Sunday. Um, we got a whole lot of things planned. Uh, this, this, this Sunday is going to just be a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to just preach for a bit and then um, release you and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what that, what that looks like. But, um, you know, but some of you are wondering, like, what, what in the world is going on with this 3D thing? Like, why, why in the world um, are, we, are we having 3D glasses in church? And my answer is because we can. Um, and because 3D is awesome. So um, I can remember, like, some of you, I was talking to a lady this week, she was like, I, I don't like 3D because the first one, first movie I saw, apparently they were all, like, horror movies. Was, is that true when you were, when, so, like, I'm from the 80s, uh, so that was when 3D was just awesome. Like, it was not scary. It was just, this is the most amazing thing that ever happened um, because I remember there was the first, the first time I saw a 3D movie, I was, um, I don't exactly know what age I was, but it was in the late 80s, and uh, I was on a trip to Disney World for the first time, and <clears throat> we, uh, there was like a 3D movie attraction. It was this short movie, and it was called Captain EO. Um, I don't know if any of you guys ever remember seeing this thing, but it starred none other than the king of pop, Michael Jackson. I um, don't know if you knew this, but he was he was pretty amazing as an actor as well. And so that was a picture from the movie. Um, like literally, I think only Michael could pull that off. Um, and maybe me. Like I could probably pull that off. I don't know. Uh, I like to try at least. Um, from that point on, um, I was a sucker for anything 3D. Like growing up, I, if I could see something in 3D, I wanted it because 2D was just boring. I wanted it to be 3D. Um, and, and you're like, well, why, why do I love it? I, I think because it's like you're not just watching something, you're, you're participating in it, right? So I remember as a kid watching that and like everybody reaching out, feeling like they can like take hold of that thing that was on the screen because it was real to them and it was right in front of their face, hence in front of every single person's face, like they were a part of something, they weren't just watching it. And uh, that's kind of why we, we named our Vision Sunday and branded it Going 3D, because I, I firmly believe that the vision that God is unfolding in our midst here at New Life is not something that we're supposed to just spectate or to watch. It's something that we're supposed to be participants in. And so we're bringing it from like 2D to 3D. We're not just talking about it. We want you to, to grab a hold of it and to run with it. And uh, because we don't want, we won't want you to just kind of be spectators of the vision. We want you to be owners, co-owners of the vision to be able to run with it. Amen? And so uh, when you go from, from, from 2D to 3D, you move from like being interested to being involved, or you move from being an attender of a church to a co-owner of, of the vision. And um, if, if you walked in today and received one of these, they're kind of at one of those back uh, little inclined uh, things. You can pick one of, one of these up. If you didn't get one, you can pick it up later. We'll have them available. Um, and there are our 2018 annual report. If you, uh, if you don't want to kill a tree, you can go to nlc.today, go to the giving tab, and uh, there's a click, you can click on it and be able to see the, the digital version of that. We'll have it up for, for a couple months. But, um, you know, this is something that a lot of churches do every year, put out an annual report. Uh, most of the time, annual reports are things that only interest the accountants and number crunchers in our midst. People like me look at an annual report and I'm like, ah, there are so many columns and numbers. I don't, I don't, I don't know what, what all this means. Like I, this is, and, and some of you are thinking, I love columns and numbers, right? Because you love Excel. I don't even know how to use it. Um, 
But, but here's the thing. Um, what, I, what we wanted to do was to create a report that was easy to understand and that it was you know, financially transparent and that also communicated the numbers that are most important. And why, what do you mean by numbers that are most important? Well, the numbers that we value here at New Life is the reality that every number has a name, names have stories, and every story matters to God. And so that's why it's important for us not just to put things that, that are budgetary and put columns and numbers and all of those, but to also communicate what it is that God's doing in our midst, the, the numbers that matter the most to him. And so um, you can read it on your own, but I literally want to take two minutes and just go over a couple highlights on it. Um, one is that we have 321 people serving um, in some capacity here at New Life. Isn't that awesome? Uh, we have, that's all, give yourself a round of applause. That's awesome. Uh, we have, that's roughly about a third of the people that would call New Life Church their home, that would come, you know, on a, on a couple week, every, every monthly basis. Uh, these, these are our life group leaders. These are uh, cafe workers and hospitality team members. These are ushers and security and JAG leaders and um, Jumpstart and Kids Zone volunteers. These are volunteers. We literally have a group of like five volunteers that come every Monday to vacuum and clean and take care of this place and clean all the bathrooms and pick up all the little things that you leave around here, right? Um, those are like, like five people that literally do that. You're like, you don't have a cleaning crew? Yeah, we do. There's a group, group of volunteers that, that come in every single week to do that. That's part of those people. We have worship team members and everything in between. So we just give it like literally just give a round of applause to all the people that make this place great <clears throat> not just good but great there are so many amazing people that that serve and and make this church what it is uh, the second one thing I wanted to point out was that we have 65 percent of our average weekly adult attenders involved in a life group uh, which is which is great. Like most churches would, you know, really look at that as like a high watermark for them. Um, I want to continue. I'd love for that to be a hundred percent. Not just because I want to get that number up, but because I just truly believe that, that, that all of what God wants to do in discipling us and growing us doesn't just happen on an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. It happens when we, when we walk along in, in life together, encouraging each other, discipling, being mentored by others, and growing in God together. And so that happens best in groups. And so, um, yeah, but 65% of our groups, that's awesome. Um, and then the, the, the last thing I want to point out is um, if you've been around here at all uh, for, for a while, we, we, we let you know this, but maybe we don't talk about it enough, is that um, we as a church tithe to missions. And so what do you mean by that? Well, um, it means that all the money that comes in on a, on a general giving, like as, as we pass the plate and, and you give of your tithes and gifts and offerings, that um, we take a tithe. We take 10% off of the top of our weekly um, offering, and we put that aside, and that goes to local and global missions. And, um, but not only that, some of you are just crazy givers, like you're insane, and um, you've invested above and beyond that into missions. So let me give you the total number. This is 2018. Over $313,000 went through our hands as a local church and invested into local and global missions last year. Isn't that awesome? Come on. Like, y'all crazy. 
y'all are crazy. You got, you've got, you just got vision. Uh, you, your, your hearts are attached to, to the world, not just to what God's doing here, but, but growing God's kingdom everywhere. So over $313,000 came in, went through our hands um, and was invested in local and global missions. Uh, it means that we were able to do things for like, we were able to do five local outreaches, all church outreaches here, here through New Life, two of which we've, we've never done. We've only done in 2018, we started up. Uh, we did Fort Biddeford, where some of you guys, we had like 130 people in green t-shirts canvassing Biddeford, picking up streets and, and, and trash and prayer walking and uh, passing out free drinks on street corners and, uh, and doing all kinds of service projects for our city absolutely amazing stuff. Uh, we helped out at the Biddeford tree lighting. A bunch of you guys caroled. We, we were able to get up on the stage and sing uh, carols about Jesus being born to, to the people in the city of Biddeford. Absolutely amazing opportunity. We did our teacher supply drive, uh, Biddeford Winterfest, as well as assisting 300 families. And so uh, that's just local. In global, we were able to touch and support 15 nations. Uh, and, and in Nigeria alone, this is where you're real crazy. Uh, we built 10 churches. This is this year. 10 churches and completely supported 22 missions pastors in Nigeria. From a local church in Biddeford, Maine. That's, that is preposterous that, 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 that you are able to do that in just one year. People say, oh, that's over the, what, the, over the past decade? No. One year, God was able to do all of that through your generosity and giving. And so you can read the rest of it on your own and that kind of thing, but I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you for your loyalty. I want to thank you for your dedication to this place, to, to this group of believers that meet here at, and we call ourselves New Life. I just want to thank you for your trust in me. Um, I, I thank you for your trust in our staff and, and in our board. Um, I, I just want to thank you for continually believing that God can and will and does do amazing things through a local body of believers that would choose to believe that God could do something amazing through us. I, 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 I'm, I'm completely astounded. I'm humbled that you would allow me to lead you. And um, I just thank you for that. I thank you for your, for your loyalty to that. Amen. If you'd stand with me, uh, we're going to get into the Word of God this morning. And um, I always like to stand to honor the reading of His Word. Normally, I read, this, I read our passages in the NIV, the New International Version. Um, but today, there's this scripture that I just, I, it's, it's written in the message paraphrase in such a beautiful way. I just can't get, get around it. And so uh, I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrased this in the message. But it's Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read it for you. It says, and this is, just so you know, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing a letter to a, to a local church, like us, but in Ephesus. It says, in light of all this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily, 
pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. Lord, I thank you that you have created each and every single one of us as original masterpieces. We don't need to be carbon copies of everybody else. But Lord, you haven't called us to uniformity. You've called us to unity. You've, you've given different people gifts and talents inside the body of Christ, but you've called us to walk on the same road together, walking in the same direction together. Lord, we thank you that you call us to oneness, that you call us to unity in the body of Christ as a local body of believers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. That's the thing I love about this, this scripture. I love how, how it's just written in the message. Um, that God cares about one thing, and that is oneness. He cares about unity. And Paul is writing to a local church in Ephesus, much like if he was writing to a church in Biddeford. Uh, he says this, you were all called, in verse 4, to travel on the same road, and in the same direction, so stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. And I, I love how he says both outwardly and inwardly, because I don't know about you, but like we can all come as like an assembly of strangers and, and kind of give nod and, and yeah, okay, yep, I like that. Let's walk in that same direction. But, but how many of you know that unity is only tested? You don't even know if you're walking in unity until you disagree. Right? I can, yeah, yeah, outwardly, yeah, we're walking together. I'm going to walk with you and all that kind of stuff. But all of a sudden something happens and I want to go this way, but we're going this way. And all of a sudden we realize that we're walking in unity outwardly, but inwardly we're not. Inwardly we, we have some discord going on in the inside of us. And so um, that, that is what, you know, Jesus says. Paul writes, he's like, it's, it's not just enough for us to be an assembly of strangers. We were meant to journey, to walk this thing out together in oneness and in unity. And I guess I would say as we move forward, even today and uh, from this place forward, that if God has you here, then I believe that he wants you to be here. He, wants you to, he want, doesn't want you to just be here. He wants you to, to be walking on the same road in the same direction, people, individuals with different gifts and talents, but permeated with oneness, permeated with unity in our midst. And, uh, and that's kind of what I, what I want to talk about today as we, as we talk about Vision Sunday, because it is important to me that, you know, we do this, we've done this last year, we, we do this, we've done it this year as well, our Vision Sunday, that, that we take time as a people, as, as, as followers of Jesus in a local assembly like this, that we take time to pause for a second and talk specifically about where we're headed. It's important for us to do that because blindly following someone is one way to get there. But how many of you know having a roadmap is a whole lot easier? 
right? I mean, I can follow somebody for a while. I'm, as long as I just kind of stare at the back of their head, I can get there and I can, okay, yep, 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 yep. I can blindly follow someone. But knowing the why behind the what, knowing the roadmap of what we're doing and why we're doing it, totally makes so much more sense of us getting to the same place and the same destination on the same road in the same direction. Amen? So we've been working. I personally have been praying and working and laboring and we've been collaborating with our staff over the past year and a half um, to come up with what we call our core values. And um, these are things that, that aren't necessarily like a surprise. They shouldn't be a surprise to you if you've been around here for a while uh, because we talk about them a lot. But it's just important to me personally that, that we write these things down, that they become a part of no, truly define who we are. If I were to put a definition on core values, it would be this, that it is like the DNA that, make up, that makes up any organization. Uh, they make up any, any group, any family, any body, right? They define what makes us, us, what makes us different. They, 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 they define what, what new life is and what new life church isn't. And I truly believe that, that this church, that New Life Church, has a specific redemptive purpose in our community. I believe that. I do. I believe that for every local assembly that God has planted, that there is a specific redemptive purpose in that community for that church. And knowing, knowing what that purpose is and having that defined brings definition to what we do, but not just what we do, but why we do it. And it's just so important for us to know what it is that, that makes us different than, than a place, you know, next door. It doesn't mean that we're not friends and we don't do things together, but there's some specific redemptive purpose that God has for this body of believers in this time. And so we call that our core values, the things that define us, the things that we say yes to. It also defines the things that we say no to because we can't be good at everything there are other churches that are great at other things, but there are certain things that God has called us to. Amen? So our core values, um, I, I want to read a scripture to you in, in Habakkuk or Habakkuk or Habakkuk, I don't know how you say it. <clears throat> uh, Habakkuk 2.2, which is kind of like the poster child verse for vision. So whenever you talk about vision, you've got to read this or you read about the one where like people perish if you don't have vision, like they're dying, you know? Um, Habakkuk 2.2 says this, and the Lord was revealing something to me about it that I'd never seen before, and it says this, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. And God was just revealing this to me that like the, there's really three criteria that he writes right there that, 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 that are criteria about how to communicate a vision. And it's these three things, that, that it would be repeatable, that it would be memorable, and that it would be emotional that it would be repeatable, memorable, and emotional. So the first thing he says, I love it, in Habakkuk, he says, write the vision. Simple, write it down. In other words, don't just say it, write it down. Why? So that it can be repeated. If you write it down in the way you want it written, if you write it down, you don't, don't just talk about it, don't just say it, but write it down so it can be repeatable. We know what that vision is, what those, what those core values are. And then he continues and he says, make it plain on tablets. In other words, don't just write it. Make it plain, make it simple, make it easy to understand, make it memorable. Write it in such a way that somebody would actually be able to remember it or recite it. Don't make it so long. If it fits on a tablet, perfect. I don't know what that means. If, write it on a tablet. Make it, make it 
make it repeatable, and make it memorable. And then the third thing he says, that he may run who reads it. Notice that it doesn't say that he may walk who reads it. It doesn't say that he may limp along or crawl who reads it. It says the word run, that he may run who reads it. And this is significant. I don't even know if I've ever necessarily noticed that before, but like, here's what I know about myself. I'll walk for pretty much anything, but you're not going to get me to run unless I'm excited about something. Do you understand what I mean? Some of you guys are like, I just run because I love running. You're sick, okay? And we can pray for you afterwards. I'll, I'll walk for anything. I'll be like, yeah, 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 okay, let's go. Yep, 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 yep. I'll give mental assent to that. I'll walk through it. But you're only going to get me to run after something unless someone's chasing me, right? Or I'm running towards something that I'm so excited about that I can't help but run. You ever notice how kids are just excited about everything? You're just like, okay, we're going to go over to the front door. And they're like, yeah! And they're just run to the front door. And you're like, are you kidding me? It's the front door, Right? But kids are excited about everything. Why? They're running at everything that they, that they do. They want to go someplace. They, why walk when I can run? You know, and I'm thinking, why run when I can walk? There are very few things that really incite me to want to run with them. And so when I'm talking about that it should be emotional, I want to write our core values in a way that you're going to have to emotionally reconcile with them. What I mean by that is you may not like it. You may read it and be like, I don't know if I quite agree with that. And I want you to. I want you to have to wrestle them to the ground so that either you come on the side of saying like, I, yeah, this is just not who I am. Or, heck yes, this is me. Give it to me. I'm going to run with it. This is something that comes alive on the inside of me. I can't help but run. I want, a, I want a bunch of little kids saying, I am so stinking excited. This absolutely leaps on the inside of me and I can grab a hold of this vision and not just walk and be like, yeah, this is kind of what we do. This is what makes us different. No, this is what we do and this is what makes us different and I want to run with it. Get out of my way. I'm so excited. I love how he says that, that it should cause an emotional response that you have to reconcile with. So repeatable, memorable, and emotional. Um, you may have noticed that if you walked in and, and noticed that we kind of are doing some painting down some of the hallways. Um, if, you, if you didn't, then you're probably a guy. Um, <laughs> you know, we've, we've been painting, guys. You know, there's some, some different colors and stuff like that. We haven't painted this, this main concourse yet. Um, but it's, it's been over a decade since we changed our color schemes. And so we thought, I think it's time. Uh, we needed some freshening up. And so um, that's going to be happening. If you just give us a little bit of grace and pardon our construction, as we're going to just be improving our decor in some of those main hallway areas. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be adding some decor and changing the seating around and, and stuff like that. Um, but part of freshening up is that we are literally, quite literally, going to be writing down the vision and making it plain on our walls. Uh, it's going to be a part of not just throwing up, but what picture should we, should we put on this wall? We're actually going to be communicating our vision, our core values on our walls. Why? Because I want you to be able to read it on the run. I want it to be a part of, of, of who we are. So, Let's talk about our core values here. If you're taking notes or you got, uh, you're at NLC.today or that piece of paper that's, that's in front of you, um, we've got our, our, our four core values. The first one is this. We intentionally make space for God to fill. We intentionally make space for God to fill. I truly believe that we can and should do everything that we do in excellence, but 
if the presence of God is not welcomed here, then we have not had church. I mean that. Listen, I got, I got other things to do on my Sundays than to come and sing, sing three or four songs and to listen to some, some guy drone on about something. If the presence of God does not show up and is not welcomed in our midst, what are we doing? It is so important to me, it's important to us that we creatively make space for God to fill, not just in our worship services, but in our life, in our families, that, that we're making space for God to show up and do what only he can do. So we're committed to that. We're committed to that as a staff, as a people, um, that we're intentionally and creatively making space for God in our midst. I love how it says in Matthew 18, 20, it says, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. There is something that happens when God's people gather in God's name that he shows up in our midst. And so we plan for that. Look, I love the fact that when, when Zach was up here and started singing the, singing the wrong song, I love your response. We love you. Amen. May we never get so professional around here that that just absolutely freezes us up and we're like, ah. Apparently, I can't even worship anymore, right? <laughs> Hit the wrong song, right? Come on. We're gathered together in God's name to worship him. So we don't want to just do church as usual, do what everybody else is doing. We are hungry for the transformational presence of God in our midst. And so when we gather together, we expect him to show up. Why? Because his word says, where two or three are gathered in his name, there am I in their midst. And this may sound a little weird, like as coming from a preacher, but I would rather you come early and leave early than come late and leave late. Why? Because a worship is for God, the preaching is for you. It's so important that we are lifting, that we're calling out the promises of God, that we're lifting his name up above our circumstances and praising his name. What we do in worship is all for him as we lift him up higher than us. The preaching's for us. Oh, kind of like it, right? That's kind of what I do. But I'd rather you come early and leave early than come late and leave late. That's how significant it is that, that we make space for God to fill in our lives. So we unabashedly and unashamedly have longer worship services than most churches around here. So if you're looking for a, a shorter worship service, there are many churches that you can find. We put a high priority, we put a high place marker on what we do in our worship services that we want God to show up in our midst and we make space for him to do it. And so I just, I, I just want you to know that that's part of a core value. It's not an accident. It's not just because this is what we've always done. It's purposeful. It's for a reason. We need him, not more of us, right? Amen? Be nice if not just two or three of us, that if God showed up in our midst. So the second one is this. We believe that the, the word of God has the power to mine the gold out of anyone who receives it. I love this one. We believe that the, the word of God has the power to mine the gold out of anyone who receives it. Um, you may be like, well, what does that mean? Well, okay. How many of you know that it's very easy these days to dig up dirt on people? 
I could go on Facebook or talk to one of your friends and get a whole bunch of dirt on you and they'd give it up pretty easy. Why? Because we love having information about people, right? It's very easy to dig up dirt on people. Some of it's right on the outside. You know, you look at somebody, you just know that this person is this or this or that. This is their history. This is what's been going on in their life. What I love about preaching the unadulterated word of God is that, is, is that it mines out the gold in our dirt. God doesn't, it's not that we don't have dirt. We all got dirt. It just means that God doesn't just say, hey, uh, let me dig out some of that dirt and show it to you how filthy you are. Do you see how disgusting you are? You're, you're worthless. This is, no. He looks past the dirt and calls forth the gold in us. That's the power of the word of God. And so when we gather together, we don't just read poems. It's not just some nice sayings that we have that other people say. Like we want to preach the word of God because it's only the word of God that transformed the hearts of men. It's only the word of God that does the, the, the heavy lifting. It is the power to mine the gold out of our dirt. It's the light that dispels darkness in our life. So God looks at us and mines it out. He looks past it and calls forth the gold in us. I love how it's written in Romans 1.16. This is kind of where I got it from. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes it. I want you to know that when I stand up here each and every week and, and, and preach the word of God, I preach to world changers. I preach to overcomers. I don't preach to sinners holding on to their last breath. I preach to people that I believe are one word from God away from victory. I, I preach to people that I believe are one word from God away from healing, away from freedom in their life. Because we firmly have this belief on the inside of us that, that one word from God is stronger than all the power of the enemy combined. I'm really kind of sick and tired of the church being so scared of Satan and talking about him a lot and giving him a whole lot of credit for things. Because do we believe that the word of God truly has the power to mine the gold out of somebody, that it truly has, this, has the power to dispel darkness, that it truly has one word from God, has the power to, more power than all of the power of the enemy combined or not? That's why we preach it. Because I believe that one word from God can literally change your life. It's powerful. The third point is this, that we will do anything short of sin to reach those who don't know Jesus. And I love this one. I love the silence it creates after I say it. <laughs> I love the questions that it rises up in our hearts. I love how it causes us to wonder. I don't know if I agree with that. That sounds wrong. It sounds like it should not be right. Like, does that, is that right? I, I don't know. Here's the reality. If Jesus, is Jesus is perfect theology, then I just believe that the church should begin to start look more like him, right? And what I know about Jesus, you can correct me, Jesus was always willing to do anything short of sin to reach those who didn't know him. He was known as a drunkard and uh, hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. He'd invite himself over to lunch at their house. He was always doing anything short of sin to reach those who didn't know him. 
He had this kind of like this, this ache on the inside of him knowing where, where people would go if, if they didn't have the saving knowledge of Christ. I love how it's written in, uh, in Mark chapter 2. This is a scenario that I think Jesus just loved. It says in verse 1, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that um, he had come home, and so they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left. So it's a packed house and not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Uh, Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. So four friends are literally carrying their friend that's paralyzed. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I absolutely love this. I, I just want to just, I want you to see what Jesus saw. I want you to see what caused Jesus to respond to these guys. These four yahoos, verse 3 it says, some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. So they, four friends, they literally, I don't know if they, each of them had a leg or a hand or whatever. I don't know how long they had to carry him. They were, he was on a mat. They bring him to Jesus, carried him to Jesus. These four guys were quite literally bearing their friend's burden. I think we can learn a lot from these guys. They weren't just going to church, they were being the church. They weren't just attending a service. They literally carried their friend to church. They were more, uh, more consumed with getting their friend to Jesus than about keeping the status quo, and they were literally bearing their friend's burden. And then the second thing that I love that Jesus, I think Jesus noticed right away, is that they broke some rules. They broke some rules. Like, look, verse 4 says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they, they turned around and went home. No, not these guys. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. There's nothing in here that says anything about them asking permission. They didn't say, hey, is a homeowner around here? Do you think he'd mind if we just took his roof off? Would that be okay? No, they're so consumed with getting their friend to Jesus, they don't even see the crowd as a barrier. They're like, oh, we got the roof. They don't see the, the roof as a barrier. They're like, we could take that off, right? They were so passionate about getting, getting their friend to Jesus. And then it says, in, in the end of verse 4, it says, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now, what does this look like? They're literally up on a roof. They got their friend. Don't drop him, right? And so they're, they're pulling the tiles off the roof. Literally, I put myself in these situations. And so they, they all right, you got an arm, you got a leg, you got, okay, you got, they start lowering it down. Now here's the problem. You're on a roof and your arm's only this long. So you got to believe, they didn't have a pulley system. They weren't, this wasn't the plan when they get there. So there gets to the point where they're like, how much further down do you think it is? Oh, it's like maybe five or six feet. I mean, he's not going to feel it. Hey, one, two, sorry, buddy, three, Jesus will heal this, two, go! You know what I mean? And they just let him go. I don't know. You can read it for yourself. Like, these are the things that go through my mind. But I don't know about you, but these guys lowered him down. They didn't just lower him. They dropped him into the house. They raised the roof and then dropped him in there. And I I need you to see this because these guys were, were not simply going to church. These guys were being the church. They were doing anything short of sin 
to bring their friend to Jesus. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded that Jesus did not give us a small commission. He gave us a great one. Something that's going to cause us to have to bear some burdens and break some rules to be able to get people that are far from Jesus closer to him. That's what God's called us to. So what does this look like for new life corporately? Well, for you individually, I think it could look a whole lot like these guys. When I start hearing somebody on the roof, we'll know. When we get packed enough, we'll know. Hmm. Globally, we steward laser-focused like relationships and partnerships overseas. We've had, we have partnerships. Uh, some of them are two decades long uh, in India and in Nigeria and Russia um, in Israel, we, we have just laser-focused relationships that we've been pouring into over the long haul. Locally, uh, we believe that the local church should be uh, the hope and the change to Biddeford and beyond, that, that, you know, we should be making a change and be a light and a hope to where God has placed this physical building in. And I'll tell you, it, it doesn't come from, from criticizing and fault-finding our city or its leaders. That's just digging up dirt. And that's too easy to do. That's not how we change the world. That's not how we change our city. We don't, we don't go through criticism and fault finding. It comes by asking this question, how can we help? How can we help? And then coming alongside our city and being a source of light and hope to those who don't know Christ. I am determined that this church will be known for what we are for rather than what we are against. Because we are for Biddeford and the people in it, not against them. We are for sinners, not against them. Because you know what? Oh, are them, right? We're sinners saved by grace. We're for them. We want to see them come to know the saving knowledge of Christ. <laughs> the fourth one is this. I'll leave you with this. Is that we are building a church like family. We will love when it's hard. Forgive when we don't feel like it. Own our mistakes. And fight for those. Fight for each other to grow in God. We're building a church like family. Listen. If we cannot be a healthy family inside the church, how are we ever going to model it outside the church? And sometimes when I say that, like, you know, building a church like family, you know, there are people in our midst, maybe you, that like you've been hurt by church, uh, things haven't, haven't worked out, people have said they do things and they, and they didn't, you, you have things that, you know, expectations that have not been fulfilled in, in a church, maybe even in this church. But I just want you to know, I am unwilling to stop holding up a standard just because there's been dysfunction. God calls us to live as a church-like family, even when we don't get it right, even when it doesn't always look like that. God calls us to hold up a standard. So just because things have happened, just because it doesn't, just be, I'm just letting you know, we will continually in all areas of our life hold up the standard of what God has for us. 
not to dumb it down to match our dysfunction. Does that make sense? So when I say we will live as a church-like family and I say things like we will love when it's hard and forgive when we don't feel like it and own our mistakes and fight for each other, not with each other, but for each other to grow in God, I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying we do it all right. I'm just saying we will hold up the standard at what God is calling us to. So in a healthy family, every member is valuable. Everyone has a seat at the table. And you're like, well, I never had a seat at the table in my family. Well, in God's family, there is no kid's table. Okay? We all have a seat. I love how the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. He says in verse 12, Train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we are all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. I believe that the role of the, of the local church, the church family, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, not for the, the leaders to do everything and for everyone else to watch. It's for us to equip the saints for the work of ministry. God has placed each and every single one of you here for a purpose, for a reason, to, to be co-owners of the vision that God has placed in this place. That means that you've been gifted and you've been talented. Um, God has given you things and that you are called for more than just making money at a job. There is more to life than going to a good college and getting a good job to build a good career to save up for retirement so that you can retire early and then live in Florida. Just want you to know that. God has much more in store for you than that. He wants to use you to grow his kingdom and at the same time grow you through it. That's church like family. Now here's the problem. In a medium-sized church like we are, the problem is this. You come in, and maybe you're kind of new around here, I don't know, like you come in, you look around, and you think, it looks like they have enough money. It's a big building, and they're painting. I mean, they're painting. <laughs> Gosh, it's been a decade, but they're painting, you know, so there's a lot of money there. Um, looks like they have enough volunteers, because like things are happening. Everything seems to be working. The lights are on. Looks like they have enough leaders because there's like programs and stuff and things and somebody blew up balloons. Like, so, so there must... Here, here's, here's the sneaky thing that sneaks into our thoughts is this. It looks like they don't need me. I don't know. It kind of looks like they don't need me. They, they've got all these, all these things covered. And I just want to communicate to you that couldn't be further from the truth that this church family needs you. We need you, not for what we can get out of you, but what God wants to do through you. The body of Christ needs you. If he's placed you here for a purpose, for a reason, then it's our job, it's our role to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You're needed. Every single one of our ministries needs help. We need more people to rock babies and love on our kids and, and, our, and our teenagers. 
We need people to, in our hospitality ministries to be able to you know, and welcome our visitors and treat them better than they expect to be treated. This place is literally cleaned by like five people on, on, on Mondays that, that come in and, 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 and clean all these toilets that, throughout the week. And I'll be the first to admit it, that we have not done a good job at providing on-ramps for people to get involved. We've not provided uh, opportunities, clear on-ramps for you. And so on this Vision Sunday, we want to kind of take this vision and bring it from 2D to 3D, that it would be repeatable and memorable, but not just that, that you would have the opportunity to run with it. To say, God, what is it that you've placed in me? What is my role in this? And how can I use my gifts to grow your kingdom? Why don't you stand with me? There's, there's one question that, that the Lord just gave me a while back. And I, and I think that this is the question that boils down everything for us. So, so, so listen up. It's just one question and it's very simple. But this is the question. Are you home? Are you home? Because that answer to that question has huge ramifications. It really does. Uh, there's a big difference between being a guest and being at home. If we're a guest, then we're an audience. If we're at home, then we're participants, right? It changes the way you look at a place. If you're a guest, then you're a consumer. But if you're at home, then you're a giver. You have a role and a responsibility to play. If you're a guest at a place, then um, there, are, uh, there are people that you don't like to be around. And if you're at home, then there are people that you don't like to be around. <laughs> but you choose to love them in spite of it. The answer to that question means a lot. As a guest, you sit back and relax, but at home we find our part to play and we choose to run with it. So are you home? If this is where God has you, then be all in. And we want to provide opportunity for you to do that. And so um, we've got this little Vision Sunday packet thing here. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different opportunities. We've worked really hard at creating opportunities for you. Um, there's booklet on your seats and different serve teams that are available. Um, some of you are already involved in different things. And I, I just praise God. Thank you. But maybe you're thinking like about that God's calling you to serve in another capacity. It's a great opportunity to find out what it is that, that God might be using you for. I love that each one of these has a personality kind of attached to it so that you know, like uh, working, you know, you love kids. Nope, not me. Right? You automatically know, all right, this is going to be something that I'm going to thrive at or I'm not going to thrive at. Um, and so here's the deal. We're going to let you out right now, but I, I just want to... Uh, I want to encourage you to take these with you. We're going to have a whole bunch of people at the tables back there. Um, we're going to be handing out all kinds of uh, food and fun stuff and all that kind of thing. And um, here's the thing. If you turn in one of those cards, you know, just turn that in. We will literally give you a sack of lint chocolates. Does that sound sweet? Literally? That sounds good, right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray first and foremost that you would remove 
anything that would stand in our way, uh, spiritually or otherwise, that would just try to disqualify us to say, well, I, he's not talking to me. I got nothing to offer. There's certainly nothing that I could add to be able to make this place greater. Lord, I pray that you would remove that in Jesus' name. I pray that you would rise up on the inside of us this, this, this idea of, God, I want to run with the vision that, that, that this church has. Lord, how can I play a role in that in a small way or a big way? Whatever stage of life I'm in, God, we, we need the body of Christ to rise up. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.